I am what many would define as a competitive person. I know I've confessed this many of times, but I, I've been labeled by many people as overly competitive. I'm one of those people that you don't want to necessarily play games with. Uh, and growing up, I love playing board games and, and sports and anything competitive. However, one of my least favorite positions to be put in was a position where I knew no matter what I did, there was no way I was going to win. And, and one of those no-win situations where you were going to lose if you went this way or that way. It didn't really matter what happened. You were set up for failure. And then I hated this in games. I hated this. I hated these situations in life. And these situations, many of us can relate to that we've been in before. Where we were like, there's no way out. There's no way to win. I can't please everybody. I, I'm reminded of being in youth ministry and you'd always get asked this question, always when there was a big group of youth around too. Hey, who's your favorite youth? And you can't answer that question because it, no matter how you answer it, somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. And it reminds me of this section of scripture in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15, where it says that the Pharisees went and they plotted to entrap him and what he said, him being Jesus. And so they, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And just to let you know, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians do not get along. But they're upset with Jesus because Jesus has come in and the crowds are following him. He's overturned the money tables. He's, he's kind of created this culture where people are going, oh, things can be different. And so they go, wait a minute, we got to stop this now. And so they have kind of come together for their hatred of Jesus the enemy of my enemy is my friend type mentality and it says that the Herodians saying teacher we know that you are sincere and we teach and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth and you show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality I like how they butter him up hey we know that you you speak the truth we know that you're of God we know that you don't show preference to anybody because you don't have partiality you you love all people equally and then they go on and say tell us then what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is on this? And whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. He said, Give to him Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are of God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. This seems like a very kind of simple question, if you want to look at it on the surface level. Do we, do we pay taxes to the Roman government? But this question is a trap. It's a, it's a no-win situation. That, you see, if Jesus says that it is lawful to pay the tax to the Roman occupation, then the adoration of the crowds would cease. And not only that, but they would turn in opposition against him because the Roman government are the very people that are oppressing them. But if he answers no, then he's positioned himself against the Romans, a place that no one wants to be. And so they've got him trapped. What will he do? 
But if this question is trap is a trap, and uh, this question is very kind of cleverly placed, then Jesus' response is ingenious. Because he points to the hypocrisy of those attempting to trap him. Notice that he calls them even hypocrites. As the leaders produce this Roman coin, as he says, give me the coin that you would use to pay the taxes, it has the emperor's face on it. And it would have an inscription that says, son of the divine Augustus. And, and so, as they would present this, any Jew holding such a coin would be breaking the first two commandments. Having such a coin within the temple itself is actually against the law. So by producing this coin, the leaders that tried to trap Jesus have fallen into their own trap. All of which leads Jesus to his closing line where he says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God. See, Jesus doesn't simply evade their trap or their plans, but he issues a challenge to the hearers and the carriers throughout the ages. And to us. The challenge is, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. And Jesus reminds the crowds that, in fact, all things first belong to God. He reminds them of God's sovereignty. You see, when we hear this, we go, well, well what is God's? And the answer may seem easy. As Christians, we say, well, all things belong to God. But the implication is anything but easy. What does it mean to render all things to God? What does it mean to give all that you are and all that you have, your very life, to God? As Jesus Christ points out the image and the inscription on the coin, notice that he doesn't call out his opponents as blasphemy or blasphemers, or he doesn't call them out for their disloyalty. Instead, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you have quite literally taken to wearing another and false likeness, that you have forgotten who you are and in whose likeness you were made. And we so often can find ourselves guilty of the same thing. As the sovereignty of God can easily find its way pushed to our periphery pushed to the sides of our lives, forgotten and pushed out of our minds because we find ourselves so busy trying to secure our own power and our own control. But the people hearing Jesus this day and us hearing today would be reminded of Genesis 126 where it says, let us create humankind in our own image according to our likeness. And those listening would know these words. They would have recalled this pronouncement and promise that God says, you are to bear my likeness. You are, you are made to be so much more than what you realize. Just pause for a moment and let that sink in. That you are created as an image bearer of God. That we are made in the image and the likeness of God. And because of this, we are to act like God. Like Jesus Christ. We are to bear the likeness of God. Not little G-gods. Not those who lord their authority over others for self-gain. But the big G-god, the one who creates, sustains, nurtures, redeems, and saves no matter what the cost. 
We are called to serve as God's agents and partners and co-workers in this world and in God's creation, exercising dominion over creation, not as some act of power, but as an act of stewardship. As we extend to all people the abundant life that God wishes for all people. (coughs) Excuse me. We remember. This is a reminder that we are created in the image of God and not the other way around. God's not created in our image. The problem is that for most of us, we don't act or live as if the sovereignty of God is indeed true. We don't act and live as though God is in control, that God is the the ruler and sustainer of all things. Our loyalty is actually towards the persons or the things that can give us influence and voice. And as a result, what we've come to realize is our churches and and their institutions begin to reflect the world instead of the, the world being impacted by the church. And as we begin to create God in our image and not allow ourselves to conform to the image of God that is transform that has been created within us and called to transform our very lives, this is the heart of Jesus' message. Jesus' response is to call to question the loyalties of our lives. To call and remind that God's sovereignty is not a choice that we get to make, but is a truth, is an everlasting truth. It's not a question of loyalty, but it is a statement of reality. So how do we go into this world as image bearers of God? How do we address the issues of our day as being image bearers of God? Well, first we have to name the issues of our day, but as we do so, we also have to recognize the complexity of the issue. We, we hold up the values that we see Jesus live out of love and hope and joy and peace and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and love and love and love over and over again. And we make space. We make space for differing voices and contributions of other people. People that may disagree with us. That may not think like we do. And we look for God's work beyond the places that we normally expect God to be. And we remind each other. We, we bring each other back to God's word and to God's promise and to God's charge to be made in God's image and likeness. As we, as we see others, we are reminded that they too are created in the image of God and we seek to live in harmony and unity with one another. We're called to live in a way so that others may detect the family resemblance within us as we take on the image of our Father. We are called and created in the image of God. And this, is a, this text is a reminder that we stop trying to create God in our image. So as we go into a world that is starving to experience the redemptive love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, let us go into this world seeking to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but also give unto God what is God's. Amen.